Welcome to On the Balance Sheet Season 2, Episode 8. Today, we are very uh, happy to be joined by Rob McCormick. He is the Chairman, President, and Chief Executive Officer at Trusco Bank in Glenville, New York. And this is the first podcast we've had with a New York banker. So uh, really looking forward to this. In this bank, there's a couple unique wrinkles about them, but a longtime client, somebody we're thrilled to be speaking with, Zach. Yeah, Vin, and we're happy to be joined by our colleague, Steve Baselli, who, who works with those guys. So I think we got a, a long list of questions to ask, to ask Rob. We're looking forward to it. And uh, I think the listeners are going to really like their story. So without further ado, Rob McCormick. And welcome back to On the Balance Sheet. We have a very special guest today. We are joined by Rob McCormick. President and Chief Executive Officer at Trusco Bank in Glenville, New York. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm great, Zach. Thank you. With how are t- you? Terrific. We're really pleased to have you. We also have a guy you know pretty well, Steve Baselli, who works who, who works with you here. And I'm, I'm joined by Vin Clevenger, as always, as well. And Rob, we usually like to start just for the listeners to say, hey, could you give us a little background of your start in banking, how you got into the business, you know, kind of all the way up until you, you became CEO of Trusco, and then we'll ask you a few questions about that. But could you give us kind of your early years and your in your journey into the industry? Well, just let me start by saying we're thrilled to be here today, and we very much value our relationship with Darling. It's been tremendous advice and tremendous advisory services you provided us for many, many years. So I'm thrilled to be here and participating with you on this podcast today. I'm going to joke a little bit, but I was born in 1963 in Queens, <laughs> but I'm only joking. I was pumping gas at a mobile station in uh, my hometown. I live in Saratoga County at the time, and uh, a local company by the name of Albany Savings Bank, which was a very well-capitalized mutual savings bank, was opening three new branches and was hiring. So I ended up applying and uh, getting a customer service representative job for Albany Savings Bank. I ended up working there about 12 years in total. And they went IPO and they became All Bank, which became Charter One, which became what is now Citizens Bank. At some point, they were clearly going to be acquired and go away when the Charter One acquisition happened. And my father was the CEO of Trusco Bank and made overtures toward putting Citizens Bank or All Bank under the Trusco moniker. So that's when I joined Trusco Bank, and I signed up as a vice president in the commercial loan area, which was a comparable position to what I had at Albany Savings Bank, and slowly moved up the corporate ladder to the position I'm in right now. I've been doing this for roughly 20 years. I've been with the company 27 years in total. I can always remember that because my oldest child, my son, was born 27 years ago. Thanks for that. And I mean, you presided as as CEO in some pretty interesting times. If you think about what well, we had 07, 08, certainly had a rising rate cycle, you know, last decade plus, you know, the COVID years and now this, whatever we want to call the last year of kind of Fed, Fed hiking. How has that been overall in leading a bank like uh, Trusco and also leading the expansion that you guys have done over the past, you know, couple of decades? I I would tell you that first and foremost, we have a very long tenured executive team here. And I think Steve knows this of us. We do everything as a team approach here and we try and work together toward the common goal. And we, we believe in maintaining a very decent liquidity position 
and a very decent capital position. And we try as hard as we possibly can to not change our stripes or not change our knitting. We like to stick to what we know we're good at and not go off that path very often. So things like rate changes, and that's almost normal operating procedure here from a variety of terms and in in very different capacities. But everything we do, we do together. And I think that's a very effective way to look at things. You have to remember, and when I say executive team, Mike Ozemek, who's our CFO, is our is our young newest buck here, and he's got 20 years under his belt. Bob Leonard, excuse me, is the old guy, and he's 37 years. And then Michael Hall is the re- most recent to join us, and he's got a lot of years under his belt. And Scott Salvador, Kevin Curley, and Eric Shrek are also at least 25 years with us. So I do think that helps. We try and take things as they come, and we try and be prepared for things as they come. You know, we've been around for over 120 years, and we've always tried to do the right thing for the 120 years. And we always try and put our shareholders first, followed quickly by our community and our employees. And I think that's worked for a very long time, and I think it will continue to work. You know, Rob, this is Steve, and we've worked together. I did some research about 10 years now, came on at $4.4 billion. Uh, with our time together, and now uh, over six billion. So, congrats! You know, so, someone you. Uh, someone once told me, "Surround yourself with good people, and and good things will happen." And I think on a lot of these first podcasts, we, we've looked for unique business models or niches. And I think what's unique about you guys is that the core structure, and that there's not anything super unique. It's banking one hundred and one, rock solid banking since nineteen hundred, and strong capital, strong earnings. You haven't had to go. Know, crazy with wholesale funding or haven't had to go crazy with the use of derivatives where a lot of the community banking world today is going down those those paths. And, you know, uh, the size of your core funding base and the size of your capital position has allowed you to do that. And so clearly, I think as of late, we've done some diversification in the commercial lending and wealth management and clearly the expansion. But the, the world's changing, as you know, Rob, and where, where do you see yourself as a bank in the next few years in terms of having to diversify to a greater degree to maintain the strong earnings you've always had? Well, you know, we've done massive de novo expansions in the past, Steve. We've always believed we work for our shareholders and we don't work for shareholders of other companies. So some of the premiums that have gone along with acquisitions over the years, we kind of stayed away from. And instead of taking the goodwill and the cost on our balance sheet for an acquisition, we've taken a de novo approach. Now we've developed clusters of branches, as you know, downstate and in Florida, and we're in five states overall. We have smaller presence in other states, but we're planning on continue that. We still believe that uh, downstate New York and Florida are relatively untapped markets for us, and there's tremendous opportunity even throughout the state of New Jersey for expansion. And uh, that's what we would plan on doing, but not at the scale or the scope that we've done in the past. It'd be more on an infill basis at this point in time. Rob, thanks so much for that. Vinny Clevenger, and appreciate your time joining us today. I have a question. You know, One of the things that I think uh, stuck out to me initially is, um, according to the website, I think you have 145 branches. And so to me, uh, you know, not to contradict Steve by any means, but uh, that that's somewhat unique for a $6 billion institution. And I was curious, how do you kind of keep your fingers in all of them and understand kind of exactly what's going on. How do you maintain a culture and consistency amongst all of those different spaces? 
in those different markets because I think you're in five different states. So it's just kind of curious how you kind of keep your finger on the pulse. We do have a very strong branch administration area with regional coordinators. Uh, and then there are managers that are in charge of multiple branches as well. So that we kind of break that down slowly but surely into smaller clusters or pods that are managed more directly. And then we, we have at least two to four occasions a year that we all gather as a group. Now, we do split it between Northeast and Florida just because it would be difficult to put everyone together, you know, including Florida. But we do believe in a couple of times a year bringing everyone together to uh, kind of get to know each other and get to know each other a little bit better. So that's really how we, we do that. And being able to communicate with people through what we call BranchNet, which is essentially intranet and uh, those types of things and send messages out that way has also been very effective. We're certainly not comparing ourselves there, but we kind of take the Walmart approach. If you went in our branch in Beeline in Orlando, Florida, it, it is very similar to the branch in Glenville that's right in front of our offices. So the hours are almost the same. The colors are the same. The products are the same. So that's been a very effective way of handling that as well. We're not trying to recreate the wheel in every location we have. And I'll tell you, something that we don't open huge branches. We try and make open cost-effective branches that work for the customers. Our internal polling still shows that a lot of people pick us based on the locations we have and driving by the, the branch and seeing it frequently. So that's been very effective having a lot of smaller branches. I know that's contra to the current state of the art, but we're not building these huge monuments or temples to uh, no one. We don't build 5,000 square foot branches. Our average branch is hopefully under 2,000 square feet staffed appropriately with a drive through and a domestic ATM, which people really like. And that, that's been a very effective way of maintaining not only efficiency, but getting our name out a little bit better than some of our others. Rob, that's uh, appreciate that answer. I'm you know, curious, you know, how much autonomy are each one of these? You know, and it sounds like they're broken up into pods and there's sort of like a, a regional director who's kind of managing a handful of those branches. But how much autonomy are they, are they given in each specific region? Clearly, you're in some you know, disparate markets. Well, they're given what they need to have from an authority perspective. But you know, in the days of fraud and some of the other things that go along, you do have to have some very strong internal controls and uh, kind of bring it back to the head office for over security and for approval perspective. So they do have a lot of autonomy. They can take mortgage applications. They can open accounts on their own, which people very much like. I can't tell you how our customers tell us that I can't apply for a mortgage application at X bank because I have to wait for the specialist to call me back who never returns their calls. At Trusco, hopefully the person's walking in the door, we're using their names and we're sitting them down and taking that mortgage application right at the desk at that moment, which people definitely appreciate. It's those types of small things that the branch managers are empowered to do. And I think generally the population and the public appreciate that. Rob, this is this is Zach, and kind of as a follow up to some of those, the theme of the branch network and the geography that you guys span. What was it like, kind of making the decision to go? Because it, it wasn't like you went from upstate New York, you know, over to Vermont, right? To go down to Florida is a, is a is a bigger leap if I, if my my geography is up to up to speed, right? So, <laughs> right. you know, what was that like? 
in terms of making that big, big of a decision? And you know, maybe what, what things have you learned from that, whether it's you know, positive or maybe negative, you know, over the years in, in, in having to again, manage from the New England tri-state area up here all the way down to the, the southeast? That, that's a, a great question, Zach, I have to tell you, because a lot of people think we shot from the hip. And when we decided to go to Florida, we just started opening branches in Florida. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And we started with identifying potential locations and then narrowed that list and narrowed that list. And we probably got the list down to maybe 10 possible sites or locations. And then we started to subscribe to the newspapers and started to informally look into those 10. And then we narrowed it further down to five. And uh, then we made site visits, multiple site visits to each of the locations. The five were Boston, Austin, Charlotte, Phoenix, and Orlando. They were relatively hot markets at the time. And uh, it was decided to go on to move toward Orlando and Florida for a number of reasons. Boston, and I know you guys are Boston guys, Boston was very appealing to us, but Boston is a Northeast market. So really what you hit on, Zach, that's what we were looking for. We were looking for economic and geographic diversity. So Boston was still a Northeast city plagued with the same problems we would probably have in uh, the Albany area. Phoenix, you just can't get to. Austin, we thought the tech bubble was about to burst. Charlotte, at the time, Hugh McCall was in charge of Bank of America, and we figured he wouldn't like us coming in and stubbing his toes. So Orlando, believe it or not, at the time, lined up very well with us. It was a service-based economy. You know, Orlando is more than Disney World. It was a service-based economy with a very strong hospital systems and a very strong college systems, which is very similar to the way the way Albany is. Now, over the years, Orlando has become much more prosperous than the Albany area and upstate New York, but at the time, it lined up pretty well. And the decision for the economic and geographic diversity was driven by, you know, we were probably about a billion aid in assets. And uh, we had 60, roughly 60 locations within one hour of Albany. But we were stepping on our own toes at that point in time. So it was decided that we would make a natural progression downstate and look for true diversification in the state of Florida. And it's worked out very well. When we first did it, if you remember, we faced uh, 07, 08, depending on how you define the Great Recession. And sometimes it was not that economic and geographic diversification that we were looking for wasn't always beneficial to us. But the mistakes we made were our mistakes. We learned from them. And uh, thank God they were not huge mistakes. And we were profitable and prosperous throughout the entire process. So I think it was one of the best things we've ever did, we've ever done. Rob, thanks for that. Vinny here, I'm going to just sort of transition, if, if you don't mind. Uh, you quick question, because one of the sure. sort of the uh, foundational components of your balance sheet is obviously uh, in what I see is a very strong core deposit base. And that obviously gives you a lot of flexibility to do a lot of different things, probably some of the uh, expansion that you sort of have done. And I'm wondering how the core deposit base has reacted in your newer markets, but also how it's reacted in your, your legacy markets, what that core deposit base has done through this pretty rampant rate environment we just have went through. How is it held up and how is it growing in those other markets? Well, I mean, we're certainly paying more for deposits and, and uh, 
we have lost some deposits because of the changes in the markets and things like that. But overall, our true core customers are very happy with us and have been very happy with us for many years. You know, we're, we're kind of a bank that if you if you get used to us and you get comfortable with us, people are very, very happy with us. And uh, I think that's shown through not only in our legacy markets, but in our new markets. I also think the staff that handles or helps the customers on a daily basis contributes to that stability, both with new customers and long-term customers. You know, Rob, one thing I've noticed over the last few years is you guys give back a lot to the community, which is a phenomenal thing. And I think you guys get a lot of value within your funding base for that. A lot of folks look for value other than just rate. And that's something we've talked about for a long time and the people and the flexibility and the obviously where those branch networks are. But I've got got a question for you. I mean, we're sitting here today in probably one of the most challenging community banking environments we've ever seen, maybe in the history of U.S. banking, given everything that's gone on. Um, What would you say, Rob, your biggest challenge will be um, as you continue to grow this balance sheet over the next three to four years, three to five years? Maintaining the liquidity and staying on top of the rates that are offered, not only by competitors, but Fed changes as well. That is no question the biggest challenge we have. And if I could give you a, a secondary a secondary challenge that pales in comparison to the rate scenario that we're facing in this country is employment market. The employment market is so tight right now, and you have certainly difficulty hiring at all levels of the company. And I'm sure you guys probably experienced that at some levels as well. That seems to be a national difficulty and a national epidemic, not just a Trusco problem, but and across a lot of industries. Now, I do think that's improving where people are coming back to work and and making some changes, but that is certainly a secondary difficulty. Now, one thing we've noticed, I think, across this country and probably in in your markets as well, is just the aging population and trying to keep up with um, with technology and and. Banking the, the the twenty-five to thirty-five and forty year olds. And so I think you've de- you've done a lot of nice stuff recently from a technology perspective to, to be able to keep up with that. But absolutely. Um, when you look across your deposit base, Rob, do you do, is there a fear there of just aging and, and, and having to keep up with a, a new generation? Uh, definitely. I mean that's a concern all over, Steve. You have to walk the balance from the, the legacy customers, if you will, and the people who like passbooks and statement savings and traditional checking accounts to newer people who want more and more technology. So, you know, you have, you still have to cater to your legacy customers and the people who like the way you do things, but you still have to develop and adopt to the changing world. So that's kind of the, the fine line you walk every single day. We've just launched a new website that's part of that. Our online banking expands every single year. Our online account opening expands every single year. So we feel as though we're keeping up with what people are looking for down the road. Rob, Vinny here, uh, again, asking, a sort of transitioning away from that. But um, one of the things that we've asked a handful of, of our guests on this podcast over time is, you know, the value of mentoring uh, other employees. And my gosh, I, I don't want to kick you folks out the door, but it does sound like you do have a very experienced management team. So I'm curious how that mentoring pro- process is working internally and sort of getting the next crop of leaders ready for Trusco. If you could talk a little bit about important mentors to you in your career and then what your organization is kind of doing in that in that context to basically groom the next round of leaders for Trusco. 
I was lucky with mentors. I had two very strong mentors. Obviously, my dad was number one. We were very close friends. We did everything together. He was a tremendous mentor, and I learned so much from him. As a matter of fact, he's been dead for three years, but I learned some from him every single day to this day, I think, which is kind of an interesting perspective. Some of, some of the things people say to you and you kind of put in the back of your mind and all of a sudden it's coming true again. And you say, boy, you know, that's, that's a change, you know, and, and that's a, a very interesting perspective. I was also lucky to have a hard-nosed boss years ago who ran the loan division of Albany Savings Bank. And I, I learned a tremendous amount from him as well. His name was Bob Monschauer. So I, I was lucky. I had two very strong mentors that were difficult on me. And I, I think I learned a lot from both of them. And uh, my dad, I learned obviously more than just banking from. I learned uh, life a lot of life skills from him. And I miss him every day. But here, I'm, I am a big believer in that. I call... I call every new employee that's hired. Lauren and I get on the phone and we call every new employee. Welcome to the company. And uh, I, I hope they appreciate that. I think most do. If they don't, there's probably something wrong with them. But I, I do like to do that. I like I like to talk to people. And uh, I, I do have to say to you, we run a mentorship program for assistant managers that we feel are targeted, which we kind of watch their training. I meet with them on a periodic basis, and then we have a graduation that goes on from there. We have uh, semi-annual sales dinners, both in Orlando and the Northeast, where we get together and, and uh, discuss things, and they have a little bit of a party atti- attitude and a party atmosphere, which I think people genuinely appreciate. And finally, we are we still do a traditional family day, which I do think people appreciate because they can see opportunity within the ranks of the company when they see others coming with their families that have moved up the ladder. The other thing I would say to you that a longstanding tradition here, we've been doing it for years. I always ask Scott Salvador how many times we've done it because he tracks it. But we do what we call Coffee with Rob, which uh, once a month. Well, now it's essentially twice a month, right? Uh, we bring an assortment of managers in, and they can ask me anything they want to ask me. Sometimes it's very formal, and they ask one question. They can't wait to get out of here. But others, it'll be a couple of hours, and we'll go round and round and round, which those are the ones I enjoy the most. So I do try and maintain contact with the managers and as many of the assistant managers I possibly can. I don't think there's any greater asset a community bank can have than the people who are greeting the community every day. And I do think sometimes as a CEO or a senior manager of a company, you can lose touch. It's very easy for us to dictate policy and to tell people to do things. But when they're actually face-to-face with the customer, it's a little bit harder to execute on. So I think nothing makes people more comfortable to know that you know the situation they're in and that you are truly behind them and backing them. Oh, Rob, thanks for that answer. You know, you, you got me thinking too. Here at DCG, as we record this, we're basically, we lost George Darling about a year ago. And I, I can't tell you, there's so many days that go by where you can just, I can hear him kind of and how he would be reacting to some of the stuff that's going in the, going on in the marketplace and how things that, you know, seem like they couldn't have happened, happened. And it, 
you know, the reality is they did happen 20, 30, 40 years ago. So uh, it's amazing where you just, you, you kind of have that as a foundation in your, That's right. in your psyche. And it, you're just, I, I know exactly what you mean about how you're speaking about your father and, and him not being there anymore, and, but you're still just learning. And so, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, I appreciate your answer there. I think Steve has one last question for you. It's pretty, it's pretty tough to follow up mentors and, and fathers and, and George, but I don't know how you pivot to wealth management, but I, but I'll do it. You know, we, we talk a lot about uh, Rob about diversification of, of products. And um, although you have been that you've had that core business forever, um, I think you've done a lot on the wealth management side, just to, you know, there's, there's ways to offset margin pressure. It's to, to get into new business lines. And I, I know that has grown dramatically in the last few years, Rob, I don't know if you could speak a bit about the financial services and wealth management piece of Trusco for a bit. I have to tell you, Steve, I'm glad you asked that question because we're in the process of rebranding our financial services department into a wealth management area, and we're looking at a variety of opportunities uh, and some consolidation, and is there more opportunity in in the state of Florida? We're looking at having more dedicated salespeople in that area, kind of moving away from a traditional trust model to more of a wealth management model. And I think it, it's probably long overdue, Steve, and it's a great opportunity. I mean, you know our, our balance sheet and our income statement very, very well. We are really a customer-driven bank so that we don't have a lot of fee income. We don't really like to pound people on fees. I think people appreciate not getting nickeled and dimed to death by Trusco Bank. So our largest by far opportunity for fee income is uh, wealth management. So I do think there's additional opportunity. And as you said, like it might not be a direct offset to margin pressure, but it certainly would help. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And there is certainly benefit in wealth management. We do have an advantage in our wealth management area. We do have a, a very strong manager there. His name is Pat Laporte. He's an attorney. He has a lot of experience under his belt, and he's very much looking for new challenges and greater opportunities. So I do think that reports to Scott. Scott has a great head on his shoulders and has been able to really expand a number of opportunities within our company that um, is a positive. If I could mention one more thing, Steve, along the same lines, something we have never done, we now have a secondary market department, so we do see opportunity in possibly selling loans. Now, we're not altering the mothership, the main bank, but there might be opportunities to take advantage of loans that we otherwise wouldn't do and put on our balance sheet and maybe sell it for some fee income. So that would be our second offset to margin pressure. Now, Rob, thanks. Thanks so much for that, for the answers and really all, all the answers, all of your time. I think it gave me a better you know feeling about kind of the, the past at, at Trusco and, and definitely the foundation you guys have set for future success. And I'm really looking forward to, to that. So, I mean, with that, we we uh, we really appreciate your time today, and thank you so much. I thank the three of you for taking the time here too. And if I could do an advertisement for Darling, as I said in the beginning, it has been a tremendous relationship for us, and uh, a lot of great advice has come from you guys, and we're thrilled with our affiliation. Rob, that's saying a lot considering that you work most closely with Steve Baselli, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Rob, we've got all this all the respect in the world for you, and uh, you, you mentioned your guys. father. But believe it or not, Rod, you remind me a lot about my father, and I got a lot of respect for you professionally and, and personally. So thank you for taking the time. So that's a wrap on the Rob McCormick interview. I want to thank Rob 
and Steve Baselli for joining us. And, and Vin, I thought that was a re- really interesting conversation we had with, you know, with, with Rob. And one of the things that I thought was kind of fascinating was the whole thing about how they moved or, or had the branch opening up in, in Florida and, and moved that location down there and kind of got the sense that, you know, some people thought maybe it was willy nilly or they just kind of, they like, you know, they like Florida because they like the vacation down there. And it was an incredibly strategic decision, right? With the five different cities they looked at and the feasibility studies they were doing. I thought that was a fascinating way to go about it and his reasons for why they didn't pick Boston or Austin or Phoenix or Charlotte and how they landed on Orlando was, you know, something I didn't know. And I, and I learned, and I just thought it was really cool to hear their thought process as they were looking at going really way outside of their their tangential market, right? From from the New York area down to Florida. How about how about you, Vin? Yeah, Zach, that's a great takeaway. Something I just think was a common theme was basically how the bank just sort of uh, Rob alluded to. They stay in their lane, so to speak. They uh, they kind of stick to what they're really good at, and they work hard at at what they're doing. And um, I thought. You know, that's that's quite interesting because, you know, more recently have banks across the country looking for different business lines, looking to get into maybe, you know, a fintech oriented venture that hasn't really for some banks hasn't worked out. We just recently had completed our conference. I remember somebody made a remark in one of the presentations about how banking as a service was such a 12, 14, 18 months ago was kind of the key thing. And everyone was thinking about getting into it and you had to do it. And now it's kind of an afterthought or you could be viewed in that lens to a degree. But this is just not maybe not the best example, but to me, doing what you do really well is is super important. I think, and also that's no better validation of that than that core deposit base that they have. And it sounds like yeah, like they're running in the same troubles others are with money running out the door. But that is the foundation for their institution, and uh, so that was really good. I I really enjoyed that discussion with Rob. Seems like a really nice guy and hope one day to get to meet him. But uh, great episode, and uh, thank you for listening. And please stay tuned for future episodes of On the Balance Sheet. On the Balance Sheet is a podcast produced by Darwin Consulting Group, DCG. All views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests are solely their own and may not represent those of DCG. All third parties are independent entities and are not affiliated with DCG. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not considered as advice. All views and opinions expressed are based on the information available at the time and may have changed based on current market and other conditions. For more information about DCG, please visit www.darlingconsulting.com or email us at info at darlingconsulting.com. Today's background music is provided by John Sib and Coma Media and can be found on pixabay.com.